Broadcasting live from Baltimore, Maryland, the Breath of Life Ministries presents Experience the Power. When God gets ready, He can deliver you if you call on Him, if you trust in Him. Let's go live to the Miracle Temple Worship Center, where our service is in progress. Did you, did you kind of get a hint from my title tonight? This is going to be amazing. Uh, I'm going to go to Malachi chapter 3. Now, for those who uh, don't always read from Malachi, and I'm sure that uh, there are a couple, all you got to do is find Matthew and go backwards. So act like you didn't need that, okay? Don't let anybody think you needed that instruction, but do that if you haven't found it. And let's, I'm going to read to you. The reason why I've got these pieces of paper, instead of reading from my King James Bible, and incidentally, when I was preaching in London, a dear lady would uh, talk to me from the audience, and one night I read from the New International Version, and she talked to me. She said, read from the real Bible. And I checked with her and found out she believes there's only one real Bible, and that's the King James Version. But tonight, I guess I'm not reading from her real version. I want to give you this from the New International Version, just so you get the impact of what I read. This is Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 6. And here is what it says. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and in offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven tonight, we, we want to understand the issue involved, because part of this passage sounded as though there were a problem. But then the second part of it sounds like there's a God who's willing to bless. You said you'd throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out something from heaven that we wouldn't have room for. Tonight we want to be part of the latter part of the text instead of the former part of the text. So make it plain to us tonight. Bring this blessing home to us tonight and we'll give praise and honor to your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So tonight, uh, we want to talk about your money. I sometimes ask, how many people have all the money they want, 
but then some people are tempted to try and seem like they're not into money. You know, I, you know, I have the uh, privilege, most of the time it's a privilege, to be around religious people. And we've kind of passed the message around, you must not be concerned with money. So if they ever ask about money, just say, I'm not interested in money. I don't care about money at all. Because that sounds holier than the rest of the folks. Well, I'm going to be really honest with you. I've discovered that money is not the greatest thing in the world, but it's kind of difficult to get by without it. So tonight, we're actually going to get down to the nitty-gritty and talk about something that we need to get by. Uh, a man said to me one time after I preached a sermon very similar to this, he said, I don't think that money is more important than everything else, but whatever the second thing is, I have not discovered. What it is above money, I have not discovered. He said, the only thing that can get me through is money. Well, this is not just about money because God says, I will open the floodgates of heaven. He doesn't say, I'll pour you out so much money that you won't have room for it. He says, I'll pour you out blessings so you won't have room for it. Let me tell you what I've discovered about God. God can work without money. Huh? I have a very good friend right now. I talked to him just last night. He has no idea that I'm going to mention him and I won't call his name, of course. But this man has been without work for more than a year. And I, uh, I didn't know it until he told me so. He and his wife still dress the same way. They still drive the same car. They still live in the same house. They still act the same way. They, they seem like they're well fed. None of them has lost weight dramatically. And so when he told me that he had been without work, I said, well, how are you making it? He said, God is providing for our needs without a salary. Do you believe that God can do that? <laughs> I've discovered that he can. But I, I want to go back to, the, to this text after I've given you another view. Because uh, I've discovered that the Bible not only knows how to bless through God's tithing system, but God seems to have a pretty good insight into the way some people's budgets flow. And I'm going to read you this from a book called Haggai. Uh, if you go back a little bit more from Malachi, you'll find Haggai. And this is going to sound like it was written yesterday or maybe tonight after God had looked at your checking account. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we got this new thing happening now, at least in America, folks. So if you want to come to America, you might want to wait a couple of weeks until we get this thing worked out. You can't float checks anymore. Have you heard that? Well, let me be the first to tell you. Uh, I, too, have been guilty of doing that. I'd, I'd say, look, I've got a bill that's due on the first, but uh, what I can do is send it to them about three or four days early, and they won't get it until the first. In fact, I have been so kind to you, even, that when I see those trucks, I know the name of the trucks that carry checks, and because I suspect that they may be carrying one of your checks that you wrote early, I try to get in front of them and slow them down. 
But in America, we've got a new thing. You're not going to be able to float them anymore. I've got an instant way they can do that. Well, God might have looked in somebody's checking account, and here's what the Bible says. See if you can relate. This is Haggai chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now he's talking now about his house, God's house, which is the place of worship. Let's read further. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Now you'll forgive me for a minute, I'm, I'm going to sound like your enemy for a few seconds here. But I know that there are people who make very wonderful salaries, who have jobs that bring in money that it's more than they ever thought they'd have. In fact, I've talked to people who said, when I get to be a certain age, I'm going to be a millionaire. Well, they tell me that being a millionaire is not the same. I have no idea. I have no personal information on this. But they tell me it's not quite the same anymore because money doesn't do what it used to do no matter what the economists claim. I'm going to suggest to you that without the blessing of God, all the money in the world can't make you happy. And God says, I've got a plan to take care of my house. And this very text that we read said, how dare you make your house sumptuous? And you know, I, my wife and I have been so blessed. We've been in some great houses. We've been in houses with those gigantic television screens. Have you seen them? When you see them, you can't act as though you are excited. I've learned that uh, when you hang out with the rich and famous, you must always act bored. So you blend right in. Nothing can surprise you. So when I go into these houses, as, as I often do, God is good. He lets me visit some places like that. And you'll see a television that's flat against the wall. Huh? And it's gigantic. You got to back away from it to see it. So big you can't get close to it. But when I see them, I don't say a lot because that would mean I am not accustomed to such things. So I just pass by it and say, hmm, nice. <laughs> I've been in places where the, the carpet was so sumptuous that you step in it and your shoe got lost. I've been in kitchens where everything matched. And, and look, God is not disturbed when you do well. God intends. In fact, I'll give you a text you'll love. 3 John verse, chapter 1, verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. God says through his man that he wants you to prosper. Don't 
ever let anybody fool you and make you think that's anything other than doing well financially. God wants you to prosper and be in health. If you don't have health, prosperity is of no use, whatever. Then he says, even as your soul prospers. So what God intends is that you be wealthy in spiritual terms. That you be wealthy in health. And that you have the resources to take care of your needs as well as a few little wants every now and then. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I've got some things from God that I, I didn't need. I asked him for something I needed, but he answered with something I didn't. He gave me what I needed and threw in just a little wonderful gift. Is that the way your God treats you? I don't love him only for the things he gives. In fact, I have learned that sometimes, like when he found Job doing well, and when the devil came and said, I, I, I've looked at Job, and he said to God, I, have you seen him? God says, yes, he, he loves me and dislikes you. Job says, I tell you what, you know, the reason why Job loves you is because you give him so much. And here's what God did. In fact, you ought to shiver. This is not the experience, the power moment, but it might be a moment to shiver a little bit because God bragged on Job. He said, I tell you what you do, take everything he's got and he'll still love me question comes to you tonight if God were to take all the things that you that you like all the things that make you you and you know some of us make the mistakes of li listening to these commercials and we believe that the things we possess define us I refuse to be defined by possession <laughs> in fact one time I was pastoring a church they will recognize themselves when I say this and I was driving a very nice car you know the Lord giveth the Lord taketh away <laughs> I had a very nice car it was one of those cars that ministers love to drive and uh, one of our children needed to go to college and I discovered that I could sell the car and get enough money to get the kid in college guess what I did sold the car and then I said, what am I going to drive? I went to a used car lot. They had one of the most beat up Datsuns. It was not even a Nissan. <laughs> Nissans are much nicer. It was a Datsun. B210. It had a dent everywhere you could have a dent. But it fit what I had in my budget. So I bought it. I drove it back to that same church and parked it in my parking spot. And before long, the members started to gather around it. They wanted to know who has gotten in our pastor's parking space. And they came in and shared their concern with me. They said, Pastor, someone has parked a horrible car in your parking space. People will pass by and think it's yours. I said, it is. <laughs> and you know, a couple of them said, you can't, can't drive that and be the pastor of our church. I said, well, go get me another one. 
Folks, you can't be defined by possessions. Job had God brag on him, and the devil went and took first all of his possessions. Then he went and touched his family. And then he touched his body. In fact, you must understand that that is the progression that the devil uses. If you're complaining tonight because all the devil did was take your stuff, he's only in phase one. The next round is your family, and that hurts. But if your family is turned against you, you're only in phase two. When he touches your body, God said to the devil, you can take his health and he'll still love me. And what I wanna share with you tonight is this. I wanna ask you a question that you might wanna take home and ponder. If God took everything, if he took your possessions, if your family turned against you, and if the doctor stood over you in a hospital room and shook his head the wrong way, would you still love God? It's an important question. But tonight I'm about to share with you the best insurance against poverty. In fact, I should charge you. If I had the, uh, the ability, I should check every place that this picture is going to and have them give you an envelope to charge you for what I'm about to give you. The only thing is it's free in the Bible. Huh? Hallelujah, it's free. So watch what the Bible says. And, and I'm going to break this down. I, I'm one of those folks who can't just read the Bible and let it be ink stains on paper. So when the Bible says that God will let you test him prove me the, the the king james version says god says i'm gonna let you test me to see if i'm telling the truth now let me show you his credentials isaiah chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9 i i could read all of this but i got a clock ticking in front of me it says there god's thoughts god is speaking my thoughts are not your thoughts neither my ways your ways as the heavens are high above the earth so are my thoughts above yours and my ways above yours so don't ever judge god by your power god talks with us but that's only because he loves us I don't know how many levels he's got to break his conversation down for me to understand it, but I thank God that he speaks with me from time to time. I, I walk with him and I talk with him, but it's not because I speak the same language. God says my thoughts are way high above yours and when I'm talking to you and you understand it, it's a miracle. Well, don't get me started. So first thing you must understand is that the resources of God cannot be locked in by the rules of your life. God cannot be understood with a feasibility study. Eh? Because, listen, if you listen to the sermon tonight and you don't have any faith in your life, you will never get past 101. The first thing you must know is that God thinks on a higher level. Do you see that part? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, 17 verse 8 for those who want to pick it up and follow it now there was a moment when Elijah God's prophet 
had made a prophecy to the errant leadership of God's people that as long as they continued in their sin, there would be no more rain. There some of the people had failed to worship the God of heaven and had started to worship Baal. Baal, they thought, brought rain. So they said, well, we don't need the God of heaven. We've got Baal, and he controls rain. Well, God says, Elijah, you go down and tell them something from me. Tell them if they think he can bring them rain, call him. Tell them that I will seal up the heavens as though the clouds had turned to brass. And there won't be any more rain until something changes. Elijah went down, told him about it. They got mad, came to seek his life to kill him. We went to hide because he was in danger of being murdered. Well, it would have been called an execution. It doesn't make any difference. At the end of both processes, you are dead. They went to find him. God said, go and hide. He went to a place where he was fed by ravens. Well, I'm getting there, but if you can't feel this, you're going to be lost in a minute. If God wants you to be fed by birds, God can call the birds and tell them what to do. <laughs> so the, the ravens fed him for a while, then God sent him the message, said, look, leave that place where you are. And, and this is a wonderful story. I wish I had time to really do it justice. Go to a woman who is a widow at Zarephath. And when you get there, tell her that I told you to feed you. To feed you first. Now let's get real for a minute. Reality check. Preacher comes to your house. Preacher comes to your house. You've never met him before. You are putting together the last meal that you have. You and your son are about to eat and die. Preacher comes and says, God told me to tell you, feed me first. Can we get real for a minute? I'm not even going to ask. I don't want you to say anything wrong in the house of God. So I won't ask you how many of you would do that. I think I know what you'd do. I think I know your answer. Excuse me, sir. We, we don't want to be rude. But my son and I are about to eat the last food that we have. And sir... We don't know you. Okay? So why don't you maybe check at some other houses? <laughs> I, I, I get a little farther into that picture. Because see, I'm not looking at the mother. I'm looking at the son. Can you imagine what that boy looked like when he looked at that preacher? Hey, Mom, did he just ask what I thought he asked? We're down to one little cake of meal. Did that preacher ask, could he have our last? That's what he asked, son. Uh, Mom, could we come over here a minute? Uh, you're not thinking about doing this, are you? <laughs> son, we got to do it. Because God said it. Now see, the reason why some people don't ever know how powerful God is, is because they never obey him. <laughs> they, 
If you want to know who God is, do what he says. See, if you just always say, I don't believe that, you will never know. You'll think some people who trust God are out of their minds. But you never know the power of God until you learn how to trust him. So the woman said, okay. She gets that meal. I, I, I can describe it to you, but it would make you hungry. Some of you would have to leave early, so I won't describe. When I lived in the South, my mom used to make cakes out of cornmeal. With a little, with a little oil. And she would fry it. Well, I can't go further. But I, I know what that cake was like. And she finished it and gave it to the man of God. Some of you would say that she was out of her mind. But the fact is that every day after that, when mom told that same little boy who I imagine thought mom had lost her mind, uh, son, go get me some more meal. Uh, mom, mother dear, remember I brought it all yesterday. But God said if we would obey him, we'd have some more. So would you go, just humor me, go look in the meal barrel. And the boy, I wish I could have been with him when he went in there, you know. Because he knew it wasn't going to be there. But when he gets his little container or even with his hand, he finds enough meal to make another. She says, now, did you forget the oil? Well, by now he knows that if God says it, God can make it so. So he goes and gets the oil. And every day after that, God did this miracle. He added by subtraction. Well, got another one. I'm trying to tell you, don't, don't do a feasibility study on God. Matthew chapter 14, start with verse 14. Uh, Jesus was preaching and a, a multitude had come to, to hear him preach. And after a while, the disciples started coming to him and said, uh, I, I think we need to let them go because some of the people are getting hungry and you know how they get <laughs> when they get hungry and Jesus keeps preaching and somebody comes back uh, excuse me I don't want to interrupt but I think we need to let them go there are no stores they can't buy anything we're out here kind of in the rural area so maybe let's let them go home Jesus says, tell them to sit on the ground. In fact, I did a little study on this one. You know, you should know that I don't come to you empty-headed. I discover that it was a custom in those days that when you ate in those large crowds, that you would put the people in something that looked like a square with one end knocked out. So they sat the people, not randomly, but they told the hungry people sit down in an orderly fashion in a square with an open end. See, God might have trouble doing that miracle tonight because some of us don't have faith enough, particularly when we are hungry, to just do what he said. But the people sat down. And then Jesus gave thanks. Does this seem out of order to you? Well, here's the way I want to say it. God doesn't have to make sense because he made sense. 
God doesn't have to be logical. He created logic. When he gets ready, he can turn it upside down and flip it over. God doesn't have to be feasible. He's God. So the people sat down and then the disciples are, you know, I don't know why I see the looks on their faces. Okay, he got them sitting down now. Uh, like he's going to feed them. Let's see what happens now. One of the disciples who's still on the positive attitude says, Lord, we got a little boy. <laughs> he got lunch. He's the only one we've been able to find with lunch. He's got five barley loaves and two fishes. The scholars say it was fish spread, but that seems way too mundane, so I won't say that. And they say, Jesus says, bring me the lunch. Now that's one of the moments, let me just take this experience, the power moment. Maybe you don't like it. Can I have this one? I wish I could have been there. When Jesus started breaking little pieces of bread. When he told the disciples, incidentally, get me some baskets. And they bring him one. bring me another one <laughs> see some people have looked at way too much television to understand this stuff but can you see it happening so now they're taking that one away and that one away so okay so they just still still breaking probably still on the first loaf just breaking and filling up baskets that's what God can do that's what happens in your life when Jesus comes in and you experience his power. Bring, bring me one of those little containers of fish spread and he puts that out there and all of a sudden those people who are probably in hundreds or 75s in those squares with the ends knocked out are full and there had to be a couple guys in there my size. And I don't want just one sandwich. Especially if Jesus just broke it off with his own hand. I want two or three of those. <laughs> and everybody is full and they bring back 12 baskets full. That means when Jesus had 25,000 people, the scholars believe. 5,000 men, their wives and their children are full. And you know the, ch the sound changes when you get full. You ever go to a restaurant and watch that waiting list? People sitting all around, they got 45 minutes to get in. And you coming out, you ate. Your sounds are not congruent. The people outside are, I don't know what I'm going to get in there. And you come out, hey, how you doing? The, the, the sound has changed. The people are full and there are 12 baskets full left over, which means that when Jesus had everybody full, he had more than what he started with. You can't lock God to feasibility. Are we okay now? Are we on the same wavelength? Well, 
that shows that God cannot be locked into your logic. In fact, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 13, God says, I will give you out of the rock honey. You know what the honey is? It's the divine teachings. I will give you out of the rock, rock oil. That is prosperity or luxury. So God says, out of a rock. You know that's not possible. That's not feasible. Your high-priced education from that university you, you went to tells you that it's impossible to get honey out of a rock unless God says so. So watch this. God says there are three things that I promise you if you return my tithe. First of all, you will receive so much that you won't have room for it. Eh? Uh, my mom was a teacher for a religious system. My dad was a contractor, I told you the other night, that neither one of them made a lot of money, and it wasn't steady, you know. We would sometimes get hungry. I'm not talking about being annoyed because you don't have the thing you like. That's not hunger. So you don't even understand. Go home and tell your children what hunger really is. In fact, you might have to ask grandmother because your grandmother was so in touch with God that some of you don't know what hunger is. Well, I, I know. My brother and I were in the house and then we kept watching the food dwindle and dwindle and dwindle until finally there was only the meal. I told you I knew about the cakes. Mom made the cakes, meal was gone. And a neighbor came over and gave us cucumbers. For about 25 years, I could not eat cucumbers. <laughs> because for about six days, it felt like I went back and checked with my brother. It was only about two. <laughs> felt like a week. All we had to eat was cucumbers and salt. We cut them crossways salt no salt we cut them long ways we ate them with salt no salt we peeled them ate them with salt no salt and finally we thought it was time for a family meeting <laughs> what are we going to eat <laughs> and i thank god for my mother she said come and sit at the table my brother and I knew not to say certain things. Remember, this is before the laws about child abuse. So there were some things you could think, but you dare not let them escape your lips. Because while I'm convinced that my mother loved me with all her heart, she had a thing she could do with her backhand. could grab your ear in a certain place. Somebody's old in here, you, you understand. She said, sit down. And we said, why? She said, we're going to say grace. Okay. We were thinking it. We just couldn't say it. I promise you that just when my brother and I had come to the concrete conclusion that our mother was slipping away from reality, downstairs in that top 
bottom duplex, there was a knock at the door. You had to run down the steps to answer it. The glass was, you know how that little glass is, so you can't really see who's out there. But I could make out things that look like people holding stuff. I went down and opened the door and I couldn't see the folks for the bags and friends of ours who mom had never told we were hungry had brought so much food you know and we had to become you know how it is when folk let me explain poverty some of you have never known it so I've got to explain in days of yore there was this thing called poverty and when it happened to you you could not express everything that you felt so when they brought the food we couldn't say ah we're so glad they we had to say oh thank you so much <laughs> and since you've never been really hungry you don't know the frustration of having eaten cucumbers for two days and then you smell groceries but we couldn't touch them yet we had to wait till the people left When they left, mom said, no, we got to put it away. We can't eat it all now. I said, I want some now, but no, you got to put it away. And when we tried to put all the food into the pantry, wouldn't fit. Uh, my, I, I had a mentor named Samuel Myers. And let me tell you what he told me. In the Depression, he was a child. His mother was a faithful tither. They came to a time when they had nothing in the house to eat, not even cucumbers. His mother had saved tithe that she needed to take to the church. He said to his mother, Mom, I'm hungry you're hungry why don't we use some of the tithe God will certainly understand she said son God claims this money we have a tithe which is 10% of our income and I have saved an offering listen here, here's here's something you can quote from Pearson the tithe says God is God the offering says, God is good. <laughs> See, when, when you return tithe, you didn't give tithe, it was never yours. So all you're doing is recognizing that he's sovereign. When you return what he claims, all you're doing is recognizing who he is. So that says, God is God. But an offering ought to say God is good. This mother had put away the tithe and the offering. And this son said, Mom, we got to eat. She says, what we're going to do today, son, we're going to go around to all the markets where we have ever done business. I'm going to ask them to extend us credit. Or if not, give us something that's old or bruised, fruit that is bruised, bread that is old. And they walked around that place all day long and nobody would respond to them. 
He said to me, he sat in my living room. He's told the story so many places, but he sat in my living room and his eyes welled up with tears when he said, Walter, I begged my mother with, with a sound in my voice that was almost disrespectful. I said, Mama, why are we still walking around here when you've got money at home? She said, I don't have any money at home. Because all the money at home belongs to God. They finished their day's search and they were climbing the steps, flights of steps. I can't remember the exact number. And as they went up the steps, he said, my mother's legs had swollen, her ankles were swollen from the day of walking in the heat. And she said, son, do me a favor. I'm going to sit down on this landing. And I want to ask you to do me a favor. Do your mother a favor. Take my shoes off. And just massage my, my ankles enough to get me upstairs. And he said he, he was angry when she asked. Because he thought we, we could be eating. But he sat there anyway. And as he went to pull his mother's shoe off to massage her ankle, he looked under there and stuck in a piece of chewing gum on the bottom of her shoe was a bill that was big enough to feed them God says test me and my friend Pastor Meyer said my mother tested him she walked all day and, and heard my bickering complaints, but she wouldn't touch what belonged to God. And he said, I learned from the bottom of my mother's shoe that God can be trusted. Well, I, 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 I got to give you a bunch of rules, but can I tell you one more story? Did you see that part in there that says that he will rebuke the devourer? Tell you what that means. In, in, in agrarian terms, that means that God will keep the locusts out of your crops. But, you know, how many of us have crops? <laughs> that, that doesn't translate too well. What that means is, God says, you test me. He said, I'll open the floodgates of heaven, pour you out a blessing you won't have room for. I know that one. I just told you that one. He said, test me in this thing. Test me to know that I will not only do that, but all of your enterprises. He says your fruit will not cast before the time. In other words, if you plant a crop, it will go to full growth. That means that when you plan something trusting in God and returning a faithful tithe and an offering, God blesses your enterprise and protects your profit because you have put him first. But I got one for you, because that rebuked the devourer thing. I got a friend, and I called him tonight to get the facts straight. This uh, gentleman is doing quite well, praise God. Uh, I can't tell too much because you'll know who he is. But he was about to go to New York to meet with the officials of a, a gigantic automobile company. If I said the hyphenated name, you would be impressed. He had in his attache case, I think that's the way the dictionary says you ought to say that, 
He had in that case the contracts, he had his credit cards, he had company checks, he had a lot of cash just in case the numbers weren't right. In other words, he had his future in that case. He took his mother with him. He wanted her to be with him when this wonderful moment came. And they went to LaGuardia Airport, got into a taxi. The taxi driver loaded their luggage. As they pulled off, he said, Mom, did you get my attache case? She said, no, son, I, I, I didn't. Excuse me, knocking on the, sir, did you get my case? No, I, I don't know anything about it. So the cab driver says, do you want to go back or do you want to go forward? He said, well, I guess we ought to go back. He didn't notice that it was missing for 10 minutes. It took 25 minutes to get back to LaGuardia where he had left his case on the sidewalk. So you already know the answer. Why did he go back? Anybody with any brain at all knows that at LaGuardia, anything that looks valuable on the sidewalk is gone. It was before the terrorist acts, or else you might think they thought a bomb was in it. This was not the time of bombs. So in this case, credit cards. A lot of cash. I can't tell you how much you might find out who the guy is and go try to borrow something from him. <laughs> All the documents for the deal. And they turn around and try to make it back. And 25 minutes later, they roll up to the spot where he knows he left it. And he's wondering, is it there? And his mother says, son, look over there on the sidewalk. <laughs> True story. Folks, what I'm trying to tell you is that this thing is not just about money. This is God in partnership with you. And the Bible says that if you are willing to obey God, that God will open the floodgates of heaven. Now let me give you a few facts and I'm going to give them to you quickly. Uh, Psalm 24 and verse 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I, I don't want to seem rude, but do you know that that includes all the money you've got in your checking account? And I know somebody may be in the position that I find myself in fairly often. Uh, you know if you have an ATM card but you only got $19 in the bank? I don't know, I think you already understand. You're way ahead of me, aren't you? <laughs> but what I'm trying to show you is that even the money in your bank account belongs to God. In fact, you belong to God. So not only the money you have, but the resources that you claim belong to God. So first of all, understand that God owns everything. Psalm 50 and verse 10, God says, The cattle on a thousand hills. Oh my. You count cattle differently than God. I was out in cattle territory. I know how they count them in Texas. They say I got 50 head of cattle. I've always thought that was rather crass. 
but they count their cattle by head. God can't count his that way. He got too many. He counts them by hills. All of them are mine. Haggai chapter 2 verse 8, the silver and the gold is mine. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. Got to go there. We haven't gotten this thing worked out yet on the, on the text popping up, but I got to get this one to you. Matthew 25 and verse 14. You got to see it. Matthew 25 verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Every dime you have, God has delivered into your hands. Stick with me. If you don't think so, because I know somebody's saying right now, I read your mind all the way from here. Yeah, right. He gave it to me. So why did I have to go to work? I tell you what, wake up in the morning and go to work without God. Get out of your bed in the morning without God. If it were not for God, your heart, which is an involuntary muscle, which you cannot control. Your heart is not controlled by you. You don't get on your knees at night or even stand by your bed at night and say, heart, beat all night. Your heart neither hears you nor cares what you say. Your heart has been set in motion by a hand that is greater than yours. God makes your heart beat. You don't tell your lungs to breathe all night long. They are involuntary muscles. So I tell you that the money you thought you earned was given you by God because in him you live and move and have your being. So every dime you got, God gave to you or gave you the power to earn it. So this text says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went on a far journey and delivered his goods into his servants' hands. And tonight I want to pause for a moment to thank God for what he has delivered into my hands. I sometimes think it's not enough, but I have done okay so far. And as you look at me tonight, it doesn't look like I've missed that many meals. I've been doing okay. God is good. But you've got to recognize where your resources come from. If you see it, can I hear you say amen? So then, if that be so, then God has a right to be involved in how we handle money. And I'm telling you that if you want your money to stretch, <laughs> the money that God requests in both texts, it's very clear. God says, give me the resources to run my house. Let me take care of my ministry. Let me take care of the things in my house. I don't mind you having a nice house. Just don't get yours all pretty and leave mine desolate. Because if you do that, I'll make it so that your money will be like you put it in a, in a pocket with holes, in a purse with holes. By the time you get home, you won't know where it went. And some of us can testify tonight that by the time you get your check home, you, know, you think something has happened. You believe in a catastrophe. God says, if you would just be faithful to me, I would open the floodgates of heaven. And I'd pour you out a blessing. Tonight there are rules that I must share with you. And here they are. First of all, you must know Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. 
that the first fruits of my possessions belong to God. The first fruits. That means that you don't give God what's left. You don't treat God like an, a sky cap. You don't tip it. You, you tip sky caps, but not the owner of the airline. God owns the world. You don't tip it. So, so give him his first. The next thing you must know is that all the tithe is his. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. Don't give God money grudgingly, but give it to him cheerfully. I'll tell you what I've learned. When I see what God does with my money, I give it to him cheerfully because he makes amazing things happen. And then let me give you a couple more. As you give, Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 says, as you give, you will receive. Then Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. I'm going to turn to this one because this used to be so important. A long time ago, when I would preach this sermon, people would say, hey, I don't believe that because that came from the Old Testament. But God says, I change not. So what he said in the Old Testament is still true. Huh? Look at this one. This is the text I used to have to always use very carefully. Woe unto your scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. And this verse is the one I used to try to nail home. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other under. The Pharisees were so scrupulous that they would kneel down at night with light that was provided from a lamp and count the leaves on little plants to return a faithful tithe. And God says, you have omitted the, the big stuff, mercy and love and justice, but you don't leave off the tithe just because you do the important things. Tonight, God promises you. If you would do this, and, and look, for the last 17 times that I have preached this sermon, somebody has returned tithe instantly and has been blessed immediately. If you obey what God says, and a tenth is not hard to figure out. God could have said, give me 8.537. But it would have taken most of us a couple weeks to figure it out. He said, you give me a tenth and give me an offering. And I'll open my house. And I'll pour blessings from my house to your house. And if people try to squeeze what belongs to you, I'll fight them off. And if you have an enterprise, I'll bless it. And you will be called blessed by your friends and the land where you live delightful if you'll just do what I say. I dare you to test it. And you'll find out that God delivers. Until tomorrow night, may God hear you when you're called. May God lift you if you fall. May God bless you as you stand. May God hold you in the palm of his hand. Good night and God bless you.